Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Advanced Real Estate Talk. This is Aurelia. I organize a monthly event now in person in London where we talk real estate and everybody's welcome. Um, you can find more information uh, in the show notes. And I'm with Glenn, glennsutherland.com. Glenn has a, a course and a mastermind about flipping homes in the US and now his focus is more multifamily investing in the US syndications. And so that's glensutherland.com. And then we have Darcy, Darcy White.ca. Darcy puts his thoughts together in the form of a blog on his website. So feel free to follow him. And today we are going to discuss who not to take money from. So when you're an investor, uh, there might be a point where you're going to run out of capital to do your deals and you may need or may want depending on your situation, uh, you may want to partner with others. So um, there are certain psychological profiles you may want to avoid. And I have four I, I thought we could um, I could share with you. Um, you don't want to invest with people for whom it's the last penny because, uh, uh, you know, they may have a, 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 an emergency happening happen and then they'll need that money. And then uh, then that's not um, that's not the type of money you want to raise uh, people who have a weird relationship with money. Uh, some people may have anxiety around money. So um, that's another red flag. People with control issues um, who may want you to be like to answer them every day, every minute. So that wouldn't be that would be way too much. Uh, there should be an understanding of how much information will be um, provided. If they are limited partner, there is so much they you should keep them in the loop of, especially when something something comes up with the deal. And lastly, uh, people with no experience investing, uh, it might be a bit tricky because uh, um, you know you may have to uh, educate them quite a bit on uh, on how to invest in in real estate, and if they've never done a deal before, uh, there might be a, a a bit of education required. I might I actually have the exact opposite point as well. Someone who has a ton of experience can also be a very difficult partner. Um, like maybe they have, you know, 20 units of their own and, uh, they, you know, they have the money, you know, people, Darcy and Ari and I, we all talk about, you know, becoming um, passive and they're looking to become passive. They're looking to put their money with somebody else. Um, and honestly, um, some of those are the most difficult to work with because they have their own methods. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have their own way of doing this. They've, you know, experienced this and it doesn't matter if your way works. It's like their way. Like they yeah. are going to push their way because they, they've been doing this forever, right? Like in some cases, right? They, they have their own way and the experienced, super experienced investors can also be just as difficult as inexperienced, completely green investors, right? Um, I had, I had some of the similar notes and some different ones. The other thing that Ari talked about just now was the uh, investors with their last, um, investing with their last penny. The other side is people who are investing and they need their money back on an exact date. They're buying their primary residence and it has to come back by <laughs> October 31st or they can't close their principal residence. And you know, anything like um, any kind of thing with real estate, the closing dates gets pushed by a month or whatever. And you're just like, those people make, they're going to yeah. make your life stressful. Um, and, and where do you go? Why, where, where, where do people get that idea? And honestly, it's 
those people who expect money on a specific date, do you know where they come from? Traditionally, they are private lenders who are trying to become equity partners. So they're debt partners that are now interested in becoming equity partners because they realize there's more money in equity, right? Yeah. But when you're a debt partner, you get your stack of checks or your direct deposits on exact dates. You get paid out at the end of your contract on exact dates. And if you're an equity partner, you got to be a little bit looser, right? Because we're mm -hmm. dealing with the market. We're dealing with sales. We're dealing with refinances. We're relying on appraisers. We're relying on a lot of other people. And sometimes it just doesn't go perfect to the day. <laughs> well, that's a, just a factor of the risk reward, right? If you wanted the higher rewards of an equity partner, you're going to take the risk of the uncertainty of date of distribution. That goes with it. Those are contingent. Yeah, that yeah. makes total sense. That's a good point. Yeah. So anyway, those ones are uh, those are some of the ones that I've had difficulty with. The other uh -huh. thing I like to think about is uh, and the analogy I like to do. Always talk about, and I've even said this on this podcast many times. Is I like to go on some dates before you get married. Um, sometimes <laughs> locking these people into a long-term commitment um yeah. you first they're gonna be like oh i don't know if i want my money tied up for five years or whatever but you are also tied to them you're responsible to give them um updates like ari was talking about you're expected to, to be communicating with these people throughout and um sometimes if your personality traits don't match up this could be very difficult and it could be one of those things that causes yeah. you not to sleep causes the whole thing to make me go from stressful to non-stressful um, yeah other oh did you have something uh, no i was just saying isn't that part of like uh, i know in other investments that are prospectus bound or um your financial planner is required to have uh, uh know your client or kyc require requirements they need to know a long list and to certify that you are quote sophisticated for the kind of risk profile they're putting into it. And that's just for things like registered investments with a certified financial planner. They need to know what your financial history is, how much money you have, what your investment goals are well enough for uh, probably presumably for court and for their insurance purposes and to do a good job to know their client well enough to know that this is a good match, that if they're putting you into you know, uh, some crazy harebrained idea because you want a high risk, high re return on your RSPs, they got to need they need to have you on board and sign off on this is exactly what you're after. Uh, just knowing your client is like, I, that's, as Glenn says, a bunch of first dates. That's a really good idea. I like that. <laughs> but the, the other part, what you're talking about is, you know, those initial conversations you're having with them. And honestly, it's um, for me, it's a little uncomfortable to ask them all about their personal financial information, especially if they're like, hey, I just want to invest a small amount of money in this thing. We'll see how it goes. And if it works out, we'll do more. And, you know, to get into these really personal questions is sometimes it feels invasive um, to even ask them um, one question. Like I, I do let people get away with a lot of not, per, you know, providing stuff because I don't I don't want I don't need to know what I, that's not the right wording, but. I don't ask it. It's my own fault. I don't ask it. But one thing I do ask that is really important is where is this money coming from? And that is a safe question to ask. And people go, well, isn't that an obvious question? It's not. It's not. Um, nope. Because <laughs> some people are using their home equity lines of credit. And if you are using your home equity line of credit to invest in someone's syndication right now, well, when you started this like two, three years ago, you might've had an interest rate of, you know, three, four, five percent, right? 
And as the uh, interest rates jumped, you might be paying eight, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12% right now, um, which means that if your even your pref return is say, you know, seven, eight percent, you know, whatever they're whatever people are paying. Um if, you, if those are the, the prep rate, it might not even cover the interest payments right now, right? So it is going to be important. So where is their money coming from? Is it coming from a home equity line of credit? Is it coming from cash? Or my least favorite of the, the options is they borrowed the money from somewhere else to invest with you. And you go, nobody does that. And you go, yeah, they do. And they honestly, um, the mentality of the person who is lending you the money, who has borrowed from someone else, believes that they are very valuable to the deal, um, from my experience, because mm -hmm. they believe that they have they have this, I'm bringing some money to bring into this deal, right? And it could be, if you're gonna bring them in as a general partner and they're a money raiser or that part of your, your group for the syndication or the apartment building, they could be. But if you're bringing this into a single family, it has a different tone to the whole thing. And it all of a sudden makes everything a lot more riskier you now have middle people that are just going to get upset because it sucks being middle people they're just getting told what they get here told from me and they have to relay them to someone else the other person is may not like the answer because you know timelines whatever like we talked about before yeah. you're just adding an extra person um that you don't even have a connection with and obviously you don't even usually get their contact information no. you just get to hear their wrath you don't get any of the good parts of like the communication or the friendliness. They don't usually even want to provide who their name is, where they got the money. They don't want to tell you that. No. You just get the other, the, the bad parts. <laughs> and importantly, they probably never heard a description of the deal except through another person. You know, that old game of telephone where you tell someone beside you, whisper something in your ear and they tell someone else. You got a high stakes version of that game going on where you they tell presented? the person- were they yeah, promised? They Who knows what they were promised? Oh, in 18 months, we're going to triple our money. And then this person freaks out when 20 months are by and they haven't heard from the prime investor. And it's not the deal as described. Um, you're right. That's a, ugh, that'd be horrible. And people do it because they, they oh. look at it and they go, oh, your IRR on this project, it's like projected to be really high. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, I can borrow the money at this lower interest rate. Um, we'll just throw some numbers out. Maybe the IRR is at 16. You, they can borrow at eight. They're like, hey, I can double my money by being in the middle, by just being the, the um, connector, right? And uh, I'm not even, even moving themselves into the GP side. They're still working on the LP yeah. side. And they can work themselves into basically getting as much money as the other person is what their mindset is. Yeah. And, and people do this. <laughs> Uh, here's a, here's maybe another version of it that's not quite as nefarious, but it's a little bit as it is as concerning for me with a spousal or a partnership, like a, a domestic partnership, however that works out. When we've had different ones, you you generally speak to the more aggressive or the investor oriented partner uh, of that unit, and the other one may or may not come to the meeting. So, for instance, you meet with uh, the uh, the one partner, and they're really into it. And you never really meet this, the other partner. You know that they're behind it. And when they talk, they're talking about their hopes and dreams and their family or their partnership or what they think they want to do or when they want to retire together or however that works out. But you rarely have access to the other person. And part of my anxiety sometimes is when they get home from that meeting, what did they tell the other person? What did they offer as assurances? I met with Darcy and he said, we're going to triple our money in five years. 
I never said that. And oh, I said, we're going to do an interest rate. And they'll, yeah, yeah. No. They're not there to get the context. It always makes me anxious. I think that's one of the reasons why, like we said this in different uh, settings, why I'll turn people down a couple of times. I just want to make sure that they're really, that they've heard at least two or three versions through this and they understand what I'm talking about and that they're really keen on it. Um, no, that's a, we, that's, we keep that's, bringing the same part up as like the communication between multiple people. But yeah. the other part is um, they may propose like, you know, position themselves that they understand everything you're saying. And then they may take the information that's wrong. So they may hear an IRR, which is like including the, the whole project from the end annualized, right? They may be thinking that that is the pref rate or the cash flow that's coming every month, but it mm -hmm. isn't. Um, they just may not understand all the percentages and how everything works. And when you're not, you're not the person actually explaining it, it stuff gets lost in translation. Totally. Totally. I think I have, Glenn, do you have more? I think I've, I've got these. Like, oh. I wrote down control freaks, exclamation, three exclamation marks, actually. <laughs> um, the know your client thing. I did write down um, last resorts. Of course, I don't want to be someone's last resorts. I, mean, I think uh, Ari and Glenn both covered that. It's just really needy. And if you're aware of their need, it can distort best business practices. You might make it take a compromised choice because they can't afford it. What if the project requires a cash call, but you know they don't have any more money? Now you're not doing the right thing. You might choose a path of shabby or lesser quality work because you know one of your partners can't afford the cash call required that's part of the obligation. Um, you might choose those kind of things, which are bad long-term for your business. You make a bunch of compromised decisions, somebody pays for it. And you know the person without the money is not the person paying for it. Maybe your other partners end up paying more for it or the project suffers or the timelines are extended. Your return is reduced. The tenants suffer because they get a shabby product. There's no good in that. And I just can't do it. There's got to be other solutions for people's last resorts. I can't be it. This is a product or an investment vehicle for, for relatively sophisticated investors who can manage the risk implicit with real estate investment. It doesn't mean it's... Um, difficult to understand. In fact, what we do is actually fairly simple. And we'll talk about that in our next podcast uh, a little bit. But in this one, and you can make compromised decisions if you're dealing with people who are on their last last nickel and you're trying to you know dig them out of a hole. I, I can't be that. I'd rather just give them money than put compromise my business in that manner. The final one I thought of, I called this candy from strangers or the van down by the river. We didn't talk about these guys. But here's a little story. I was out with my contractors in Windsor. This is probably about six years ago. And there's a notorious bar in Windsor, uh, a yellow building by the tracks on the west side. Okay. And um, yeah, it's notorious. And uh, two of my um, uh, partners frequented, or two of my uh, contractors frequented that place because they got big pool tables, cheap beer. It's exciting. They ride motorcycles. They hang around. So. Yeah. We're out for having a, a you know contractor's beer and we're talking and breaking peanuts and watching the Jays. And he said, Hey, you know, uh, how's it going? I said, Well, it's going all right. I said, you know, I said, I got some friends. They're interested in investing with you. And, oh, 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 really? Yeah, Glenn's laughing because I did share with him before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He says, I got some friends, uh, a couple of members that are interested in investing with you. And uh 
they wonder if you're interested. And I was thinking as a naive Western Canadian boy, a couple of members, members of the musical ride, members wearing the red surge. Pardon? (laughs) Is it the Legion? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Members of what? Members of the symphony? You know, um, no, it was so naive. They're members of a criminal motorcycle, motorcycle organization, as I understood from him. And they were interested in, he claimed they were interested in investing. Now it could have been big talk, but it made me go, no, we're good. I'm fine. There's people you don't want to take money from for a lot of reasons. And there's different categorizations. This could be money offshore that has not been properly accounted for through banking and Canada revenue. There could be money that's taken from cash businesses. There could be money taken from uh, shady refinancing from other sources. When Glenn says it's a bit touchy asking where this money comes from, you need to be assured because at some point as a general partner, when you sign on behalf of this investment group with the bank, that you're assuring that you know where this money came from. Part of the uh, AML requirements now with virtually every bank, and they're getting more and more stringent in Canada, are that you certify that you as the prime investor know where that money came from, that didn't come from criminal enterprises, and you are putting your name on the line for this. Now, if you're comfortable doing that, you know, great, go ahead. I'm not. So, I need so to Darcy, know that this so what do you from legitimate sources. Are you, what do you, how does, how does this play out to get this information? Do you just have the conversation? Is there a piece of paper they fill out? Um, is there yeah. a piece of paper you fill out for yourself to keep track of this? How, how does that look? So increasingly there's conflict between um, uh, limited partnerships, a uh, bear trust agreement and the AML requirements that the bank has. Now the bank interprets what the Canadian government and CRA is requesting for anti-money laundering. And there's broad interpretation of that. And that it, you know, depends on which bank and sometimes which broker, which commercial lender, what they're comfortable documenting. But within the bank structure, they require certain documentation of where that money is going and who are the, quote, beneficial owners of this project. Now, when you have a bare trust instrument, it's not to disguise this. That's not the purpose of it, but it can be used that way. So a lot or very significant, if you believe the papers, for instance, Andy Yan writing in the Vancouver Sun, he's an urban geographer at Simon Fraser University, has extensively documented that there are a ton in Vancouver, and this might amount to two to three to five percent of purchases in Vancouver of personal homes and assets in, in the in BC, in the Lower Mainland, that are transacted through a bear trust. There's no good reason why a home is purchased in a bear trust, that you can't see who owns it, that a number company holding an asset, a private home in a bear trust. There's no good reason for it. And he's suspicious of where these are and why this is happening. I think he's got good reason to. I think living on the edge of the Pacific Rim, there's a lot of uncertainty in some countries. You can, you know, ask Donald Trump what country that is. Uncertainty about where their money is and how secure that money is held. And that money is leaving illegally out of that country. A lot of it is entering this country without being fully vetted where it came from, how much? I know I see the signs everywhere at the airport. If you have more than 10,000 Canadian, you have to declare it. When I cash more than $10,000 at the bank, I have to declare where that money came from. So where's the money coming from that's that's millions of dollars to buy big, large private homes through bear trust and, and um, numbered companies? That's why there's a lot of suspicious suspicion around this structure. And banks are then required to document who are the beneficial owners of this. Now, in a limited partnership, as soon as you give up the names of those limited partners, 
There's some uncertainty whether they move from being a limited partner to a general responsible partner. Because if they're in a bear trust, in a limited partnership, in a bear trust arrangement, they're not responsible for anything more than they actually put into this project. You put in 50 grand, you're only responsible 50 grand. If you take an active role in the business or your name is move, moved from the limited partnership over onto the other side, then now you can become responsible for the debts beyond your 50,000, beyond the limited partnership. So there's conflict there between CRA, banking, business rules and legal entities, and it's a tiny bit uncertain. So as the general partner, I need to make sure that my limited partners are known and legitimate and the, where the money came from. I'm not as concerned if my sophisticated partners are comfortable or uncomfortable paying five or 6% on their homeowner's line of credit. That's, I think, their decision. And yep. We've talked that through thoroughly. But I am concerned that I might have people in there that got money from sources that are not legitimate that I'm going to have to account for at some point. And I want to make sure that doesn't happen because as we talk about in next week's episode, you know, who are the general partners sponsoring these deals? That's me and my reputation and my business are linked, you know, they're together. And if that's not legitimate from top to bottom, I have a problem. So yeah. that's, you know, that's the candy from strangers and van down by the river clause. You don't want it. Don't take it. You know? Yep. People get excited whenever they see money. And a lot of times they take it without even questioning it at all. Yeah, and and even you know, with this, if like just even having this conversation, I um with when I'm doing the syndication, it's not it's not just me, right? There's mm -hmm. multiple people involved uh yeah. in this whole thing. And uh I know the conversations I don't like to have, so maybe someone else can have that. I can go get the uh you know the soft commitments and do that, and then I'll move you on to uh compliance, the compliance department, <laughs> and they can get your detailed information to make sure we're good because you know, everybody has their strengths and everybody has their weaknesses. And uh, I don't like knowing everyone's personal business. And I don't, I don't need to know it. <laughs> hey, listen, I, I, this is a common feature that I'm used to getting used to now. Any of these uh, uh, commercial lenders, they are charming. The, the broker that you're dealing with is usually charming. Everything's yes, sure. We can do that. I can get through for Friday. You know, who's actually doing the work. Who's not quite as charming, who has really a horrible job is their documentation person. Mm. And whether you deal with First National or, or National Bank or ICI, any of these, they have a charming broker. And then they have a person who has to grind out the details and they will dog you until they have all the documentation. And I try not to get upset by it, but it seems really easy to get the deal. And then you have to document it. And that is not as easy. It's a bunch of hard work of getting it done. And they have an unenviable job. So if you can find a person who's good at that, who can get you the details and do it with some flair and elan without, you know, making everybody crazy, you've got a real winner. I, I work with a bunch of them and I have to say, you know, to Allison and Lori and all the rest, thank you. I know you're just doing a tough job. And sometimes when I'm prickly, it's just because I'm overwhelmed with details, but I respect your work and I apologize <laughs> when I've been cranky. There we go. There's your confession this morning. Yeah, already take thing. us home before we get really off topic. <laughs> yeah, thank you, everybody. We're talk about mortgage <laughs> brokers. <laughs> Be mindful where you take the money from. And uh, yeah. yeah, that's why basically I don't raise money. Uh, so, uh, yeah, thank you for everybody for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everyone.